Hello, welcome to the Row Rage podcast. My name is Susan Prolman. I'm your host and second class citizen. I am enraged by Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, the June 24, 2022 Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe versus Wade, as well as Planned, Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania v. Casey. I've been, I've been so angry that I looked up synonyms for angry and want to see if you can relate to some of these. They include enraged, filled with rage, outraged, pissed off, seething, livid, infuriated, furious, fuming, mad as hell. It boils my blood. I am so angry I could spit nails. And hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Do any of those capture how you're feeling right now? Maybe you have other ways of expressing your rage or sorrow at this absolutely terrible Supreme Court decision. And I'm sorry to say that I believe there will be federal law restricting abortions nationwide. It is only a matter of time. So I wanted to take some time today to discuss what I think this debate is really about. I have always thought the catchphrase choice, as in pro-choice, as opposed to quote, pro-life, end quote, is bad messaging. Pro-choice sounds to me frivolous. I think a better way to say this might be women's rights, as in, I support women's rights. I think that is the core issue here. The Dobbs opinion and legislation to ban or limit abortion is all about the extreme rights war on women. A euphemism for holding women down is, quote, keep them barefoot and pregnant, end quote. I think that it comes in part from the idea that in the Garden of Eden, God created Adam first. He later created Eve from Adam's ribs for the amusement of Adam, to keep him company and to support him. It's all about the concept that women are lower in status and they exist to serve the man. The idea that the man is the head of the household and the woman is subservient to him. Early in U.S. history, women were regarded as the chattel property of men. And I'm going to quote here from Catherine Al Gore's article, Coverture, Coverture, the word you probably don't know but should. And unfortunately, I'm not 100% sure of how to pronounce it. She writes, quote, Coverture 
is a long-standing legal practice that is part of our colonial heritage. Though Spain, those Spanish and French versions of coverture existed in the New World, United States coverture is based on English law. Coverture held that no female person had legal identity. At birth, a female baby was covered by her father's identity. And then when she married by her husband's, the husband and wife became one and that one was the husband. A symbol of this subsuming of identity or as a symbol of this subsuming of identity, women took the last names of their husbands. They were femme covert, covered women. Because they did not legally exist, married women could not make contracts or be sued, so they could not own or work in business. Married women owned nothing, not even the clothes on their backs. They had no rights to their children, so that if a wife divorced or left her husband, she would not see her children again. Married women had no rights to their bodies. That meant not only that a husband could have a claim to any wages generated by his wife's labor or the fruits of her body, her children, but also had an absolute right to sexual access. Within marriage, a wife's consent was implied. So under law, all sex-related activity, including rape, was legitimate. His total mastery of this fellow human being stopped short, but just short of death. Of course, a man wasn't allowed to beat his wife to death, but he could beat her, end quote. And I just want to take a moment here to note that the expression rule of thumb, which I heard even in conversation even earlier today, referred to the fact that it was legal for a husband to beat his wife if the rod he used was no thicker than his thumb. So just to sort of think through a picture of extreme male, male privilege from US history and history in other countries as well, when women were considered the chattel property of men, a father would give away his daughter to a man older than her. The husband could then have sex with his wife whenever he wanted without contraception. Her consent was not needed. She might experience frequent pregnancies. Some women historically had double digit number of children. There were high rates of mortality related to childbirth. Eventually, the first wife might die from complications of childbirth. The man who is now older could take a girl or a young woman as his wife, the same age as his wife was the first time, the first one he married, and repeat the cycle of having sex whenever he feels like it without contraception. The second wife giving birth to many children may eventually die 
of complications of childbirth. And now the man who's even older can go forward and marry a young girl, a woman or young girl, and so on. I, there's an expression that I heard even growing up that sex within marriage was the woman's, quote, wifely duty, end quote. And I'm going to read now from Deborah England's The History of Marital Rape Laws, which was published in Criminal Defense Lawyer. Deborah England writes, quote, marital rape was a term that was viewed by the law as an oxymoron until shamefully late in U.S. history. Until the 1970s, rape, the, the rape laws in every state in the union included an exception if the rapist and the victim were husband and wife. In 1993, all 50 states had finally eliminated the, quote, marital rape exception, end quote, but the effects of these archaic exceptions persist and interfere with spousal rape prosecutions in some states. I suspect that the states that are rolling back abortion rights are also going to want to roll back the prohibition on marital rape. And they might do this just by making the complaint and prosecution of marital rape claims even more difficult than it is now. Already, and even before the overturning of Roe versus Wade, there was sometime, sometimes a lack of police interest in rape and marital rape complaints. Rape kits, which are excruciating for the victim, often sit idle, never used. Rape cases are often not prosecuted. And this could get even worse as a result of the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision and the restrictions on women's legal rights that now will be allowed. And I also, I want to dig a little bit deeper into restrictions on property ownership by women historically in the United States. I'm going to quote here from Kevin C. Paul's academic article called A Discourse on Gender Inequality in American Law. He writes, quote, put in the simplest terms, women were the chattel property of men under law until the early part of the 20th century. Married women could not own property because they were property. A woman's body, her children, and the clothes on her back belonged to her husband, end quote. Now, are we talking about distant history? No. Until the Equal Credit Opportunity Act of 1974 passed, banks could legally refuse to issue a credit card to a woman without a male co-signer. So if a woman did not have a man, usually her husband, maybe sometimes her father, co-signing, banks were allowed to refuse to accept her application for a credit card. Do not put it past this Supreme Court to take away from women 
the right to manage their own finances. That is a very effective way of keeping women down. Vestiges of our culture's prejudice for men and against women show up in everyday life. For example, people commonly refer to adult females as girls. They will call a woman, an adult, a girl, even when in the same circumstance, they would not call an adult male a boy. They would call him a man. And this is to deny women adult status. In other words, equal citizenship in this country. It is one sign that women are still second-class citizens in the United States. The impacts of the worldview that women are second-class citizens lives on to this day, much to human society's detriment. One place this is especially pronounced is marriage. And I am going to quote now from Elizabeth Gilbert's excellent book, Committed, A Skeptic Makes Peace with Marriage. Elizabeth Gilbert writes, quote, We have to start with the cold, ugly fact that marriage does not benefit women as much as it benefits men. I did not invent this fact, and I don't like saying it, but it's a sad truth backed up by study after study. By contrast, marriage as an institution has always been terrifically beneficial for men. If you are a man, say the actuarial charts, the smartest decision you can possibly make for yourself, assuming that you would like to lead a long, happy, healthy, prosperous existence, is to get married. Married men live Oh, excuse me. Um, Married men perform dazzlingly better in life than single men. Married men live longer than single men. Married men accumulate more wealth than single men. Married men excel at their careers above single men. Married men are far less likely to die a violent death than single men. Married men report themselves to be much happier than single men, and married men suffer less from alcoholism, drug addiction, and depression than do single men. Dishearteningly, the reverse is not true. Modern married women do not fare better in life than their single counterparts. Married women in America do not live longer than single women. Married women do not accumulate as much wealth as a single woman. She states parathetically, you take a 7% pay cut on average just for getting hitched. Married women do not thrive in their careers to the extent single women do. Married women are significantly less healthy than single women. Married women are less, are more likely to suffer from depression than single women. And married women are more likely to die a violent death than single women, usually 
at the hands of a husband, which raises the grim reality that, statistically speaking, the most dangerous person in the average women's, woman's life is her own man. All of this adds up to what puzzled sociologists call the, quote, marriage benefit imbalance, end quote, a tiny, a tidy name for an almost freakishly doleful conclusion that women generally lose in the exchange of marriage vows while men win big, end quote. Marriage rates in the United States were declining even before the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. I suspect and I hope that this disastrous opinion will push marriage rates even lower. Not only is marriage to men a bad deal for women, sex with men is a bad deal for women as well. A study in the Archives of Sexual Behavior found that straight women have fewer orgasms with their partners than any other group. The study is called Differences in Orgasm Frequency Among Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, and Heterosexual Men and Women in a U.S. National Sample. It was published in 2017. And I'm going to read a quote from it. Quote, Heterosexual men were most likely to say they usually to always orgasmed when sexually intimate, 95%, followed by gay men, 89%, bisexual men, 88%, lesbian women, 86%, bisexual women, 66%, and heterosexual women, 65%, end quote. That is a 30-point discrepancy between heterosexual men's orgasms and heterosexual women's orgasms. It is not surprising, as our society teaches men to be selfish in their relationships with women. So even before the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, sex with men was a bad deal for women. Even before the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, marriage to men was a bad deal for women. And I'd like to talk here about contraception. I used to think that pregnancy was caused by a man and a woman, or traditional pregnancy, I should say, was caused by a man and a woman having sexual intercourse with one another. In other words, I thought it took two to tango. I changed my mind when I read a series of tweets by Gabrielle Blair. She convinced me that men, and men alone, are 100% responsible for all unwanted pregnancies. Though it's a bit long, I'm going to read this Twitter feed in full because it is excellent and it may change your mind. So Gabrielle Blair wrote on Twitter on September 13, 2018, quote, I'm a mother of six and a Mormon. 
I have a good understanding of arguments surrounding abortion, religious and otherwise. I've been listening to men grandstand about women's reproductive rights, and I'm convinced men actually have zero interests in stopping abortion. Here's why. If you want to stop abortion, you need to prevent unwanted pregnancies, and men are 100% responsible for unwanted pregnancies. No, for real, they are. Perhaps you're thinking, it takes two. And yes, it does take two for intentional pregnancies, but all unwanted pregnancies are caused by the irresponsible ejaculations of men, period. Don't believe me? Let me walk you through it. Let's start with this. Women can only get pregnant about two days each month, and that's for a limited number of years. That makes 24 days a year a woman might get pregnant, but men can cause pregnancy 365 days a year. In fact, if you're a man who ejaculates multiple times a day, you could cause multiple pregnancies daily. daily. In theory, a man could cause more than 1,000 unwanted pregnancies in just one year. And though their sperm gets crappier as they age, men can cause unwanted pregnancies from puberty until death. So just starting with the basic biology plus the calendar, it's easy to see that men are the issue here. But what about birth control? If a woman doesn't want to risk an unwanted pregnancy, why wouldn't she just use birth control? If a woman can manage to figure out how to get an abortion, surely she can get birth control, right? Good questions. Modern birth control is possibly the greatest invention of the last century, and I am very grateful for it. It's also brutal. The side effects for many women are ridiculously harmful. So ridiculous that when an oral contraception for men was created, it wasn't approved because of the side effects. And the list of side effects was about one third as long as the known side effects for women's oral contraception. And here Blair quotes an NPR article, quote, entitled, Men male birth control study killed after men report side effects, end quote. She goes on to say, there's a lot to be unpacked just in that story, but I'll simply point out in case you didn't know that as a society, we don't really mind if women suffer physically or mentally, as long as it makes things easier for men. But good news, men, even with the horrible side effects, women are still very willing to use birth control. Unfortunately, it's harder than it should be. Birth control options for women require a doctor's appointment and a prescription. It's not free and often not cheap. 
In fact, there are many people trying to make it more expensive by fighting to make sure insurance companies refuse to cover it. Oral contraceptives for women can't be easily acquired or at last minute, and they don't work instantly. If we're talking about the pill, it requires consistent daily use and doesn't leave much room for mistakes, forgetfulness, or unexpected disruptions to daily schedules. And again, the side effects can be brutal. I'm still grateful for it. Please don't take it away. I'm just saying women's birth control isn't simple or easy. In contrast, let's look at, a, at birth control for men, meaning condoms. Condoms are readily available at all hours, inexpensive, convenient, and don't require a prescription. They're effective and work on demand instantly. Men can keep them stocked up just in case, so they're always prepared. Amazing. They are so much easier than birth control options for women. As a bonus, in general, women love it when men use condoms. They keep us from getting STDs. They don't lessen our pleasure during sex or prevent us from climaxing. And the best part, cleanup is so much easier. No waddling to the toilet as your jizz drips down our legs. So why in the world are there ever unwanted pregnancies? Why don't men just use condoms every time they have sex? Seems so simple, right? Oh, I remember. Men don't love condoms. In fact, men frequently pressure women to have sex without a condom. And it's not unheard of for men to remove the condom during sex without the woman's permission or knowledge. Pro tip, that's assault. And here she quotes a Huffington Post article entitled, Stealthing is a new sex trend where men remove condoms without the partner's consent. Everyone needs to know about this. Blair goes on to write, why would men want to have sex without a condom? Good question. Apparently, it's because for the minutes they are penetrating their partner, having no condom on gives, them, gives the experience more pleasure. So, there are men wi willing to risk getting a woman pregnant, which means literally risking her life, her health, her social status, her relationships, and her career so that, so that they can experience a few minutes of slightly more pleasure. Is that for real? Yes, it is. What are we talking about here pleasure-wise? If there's a pleasure scale with pain beginning at zero and going down into the negatives, a back scratch falling at five, and an orgasm without a condom being a 10, where would sex with a condom fall? like a seven or an eight. So it's not like sex with a condom is not pleasurable. It's just not as pleasurable. An eight instead of a 10. Let me emphasize that again. Men regularly choose to put women at massive risk by having non-condom sex in order to experience a few minutes of slightly more pleasure. Now keep in mind, 
for the truly quantum averse, men also have a non-quantum, always ready birth control built right in, called the pullout. It's not perfect, and it's a favorite joke, but it is also 96% effective. And here, Blair links to a Planned Parenthood article, um, How Effective is Pulling Out? And she goes on to write, So surely, we can expect men who aren't wearing a condom to at least pull out every time they have sex, right? Nope. And why not? Well, again, apparently it's slightly more pleasurable to climax inside a vagina than, say, on their partner's stomach. So men are willing to risk the life, health, and well-being of women in order to experience a tiny bit more pleasure for like five seconds during orgasm. It is mind-boggling and disturbing when you realize that that's the choice men are making. And honestly, I'm not as mad as I should be about this because we have trained men from birth that their pleasure is of utmost importance in the world and to disassociate sex and pregnancy. While we're here, let's talk a little bit more about pleasure and biology. Did you know that a man can't get a woman pregnant without having an orgasm? which means that we can conclude getting a woman pregnant is a pleasurable act for men. But did you further know that men can get a woman pregnant without her feeling any pleasure at all? In fact, it's totally possible for a man to impregnate a woman even while causing her excruciating pain, trauma, or horror. In contrast, a woman can have nonstop orgasms with or without a partner and never once get herself pregnant. A woman's orgasm has literally nothing to do with pregnancy or fertility. Her clitoris exists not for creating new babies, but simply for pleasure. No matter how many orgasms she has, they won't make her pregnant. Pregnancies can only happen when men have an orgasm. Unwanted pregnancies can only happen when men orgasm irresponsibly. What this means is a woman can be the sluttiest slut in the entire world who loves having orgasms all day long and all night long, and she will never find herself with an unwanted pregnancy unless a man shows up and ejaculates irresponsibly. Women enjoying sex does not equal unwanted pregnancy and abortion. Men enjoying sex and having irresponsible ejaculations is what causes unwanted pregnancies and abortions. Let's talk more about responsibility. Men often don't know and don't ask and don't think to ask if they've caused a pregnancy. They may never think of it or associate sex with making babies at all. Why? 
because there are zero consequences for men who cause unwanted pregnancies. If the woman decides to have an abortion, the man may never know he has caused an unwanted pregnancy with his irresponsible ejaculation. If the woman decides to have the baby or put the baby up for adoption, the man may never know that he caused an unwanted pregnancy with his irresponsible ejaculation or that there's now a child walking around with 50% of his DNA. If the woman does tell that he caused an unwanted pregnancy and that she's having the baby, the closest thing to a consequence for him is that he may need to pay child support. But our current child support system is well known to be a joke, end quote. So thank you to Gabrielle Blair for those excellent insights. So I just, I wanna make an analogy here that in a society where women are second class citizens, instead of placing the responsibility on men to not rape, the burden of preventing men from raping women is placed on the women. Women are punished for having been raped by men. This is not acceptable. We need to rid the United States of this thinking. There's a similar phenomenon with contraception. Men cause unintended pregnancies. The burden of preventing unintended and unwanted pregnancies is placed on women. Women are punished if men get them pregnant. This too is not acceptable and must end. As, as discussed earlier, birth control takes a toll on women's bodies. For example, Rare but serious side effects of birth control pills may include blood clots, high blood pressure, liver tumors, gallbladder disease, breast cancer risk, and cervical cancer risk, among others. More common side effects of birth control pills may include nausea, breast tenderness, headaches, spotting or breakthrough bleeding, missed periods, weight gain, mood changes, decreased sex drive, and vaginal discharge. Men's genitalia are external. Women's are internal. For a man to have a vasectomy takes only a few minutes and causes little pain. It is safe, simple, and effective. Tubal ligation or a woman having her tubes tied requires a more invasive surgery. Same with the insertion of an intrauterine device or IUD. These procedures can be painful and are more likely to have side effects than vasectomies. In a post-Roe America and in a state where abortion is not legal or is not practical, I believe that women getting their tube tides, their tubes tied or IUDs inserted represent a smart move by women to protect themselves. But men who are the ones who cause unwanted pregnancies should not foist the responsibility for preventing pregnancy onto women. It is 
far safer and easier for men to prevent pregnancies than it is for women. In a post-row world, any man who cares at all about women should get a vasectomy. Any man who does not have a vasectomy yet should always use a condom, even if the woman is also using another birth control mechanism, even if the couple is having sex within a marriage. In a post-row world, it is unacceptable for a man to have sex with a premenopausal woman without his taking responsibility for preventing a pregnancy. And I just want to take a moment here to talk about the potential chilling effect of the horrendous Dobbs decision and anti-abortion legislation that is cropping up around the country. The people who write laws banning or limiting access to abortion do not understand the topic they are legislating. They do not understand women's reproductive systems. They do not understand gynecology. They are legislating outside of their area of expertise. For example, the Plan B pill is a contraceptive. It prevents pregnancy. Some legislators erroneously argue it causes abortion and want to ban it under the banner of banning abortion. That is not acceptable. Another example, a so-called abortion drug, and I do not know how to pronounce this, my, my fepristone has many medical uses. To ban it could limit the practice of medicine that in areas that have nothing to do with abortion. Many legislators want to ban abortions late in pregnancy. However, there are cases in which the fetus is not viable and an abortion is medically necessary to protect the health and maybe the life of the woman. Abortion in such cases is medically necessary and won't prevent the birth of a viable infant. And yet, some legislators seek to ban it. Medical decisions should be made by the woman with the advice and guidance of her doctor. I feel anti-abortion legislation may have a chilling effect on the field of OBGYN gynecology and obstetrics. If you were a medical student deciding which specialty to enter, would you opt for one in which you could face prison or other severe punishments? And even if those disincentives weren't present, would you choose a specialty in which you may not be allowed to practice medicine in the best interest of patients, even when those are unrelated to pregnancy? Would you want to sign up for that? Who would want to sign up for that? Illegalizing abortion could result in more pregnancies with fewer OBGYN doctors. So in conclusion, I would like to make three points. One, 
access to abortion must be legal, practical, and affordable in the entire United States of America as well as the rest of the world. Two, men should have vasectomies. Vasectomies should be socially accepted and encouraged. They should be easily accessible and free. Three, if an unintended pregnancy occurs and is carried to birth, the biological father must be required to pay ample child support. He should not be allowed to avoid paying. Oh, well, thank you for listening to the Roe Rage podcast. I hope you've inf- found the information in this podcast thought-provoking. Please share it with your friends and family. Thank you.